it, it's not a bad thing that you're having to do marketing. It's just essential to get people to engage, especially right now. The reason why a lot of people go into learning and development is because we have a passion for helping others be more successful. I mean, what best to do than to get to know them better, right? It's, it's kind of so obvious that I'm thinking to myself, why didn't we do this much sooner? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast and a special interview episode today. Today, I am joined by Elvira Amt from Expedia Group. Elvira and a few of her colleagues were some of the first ever delegates on our masterclass program. And today we're going to be talking about something they've done following the program, and that's creating their own learner personas. Before we get started, let's clear it up to make sure that we're all on the same page. A learner persona is a fictional representation of your target audience. We've absolutely begged, borrowed and stilled these from our friends in marketing who have bio personas, but in learning we talk about learner personas and that's what we're going to be exploring today. We have a whole podcast on how you can create your learner personas, but today I want to hear from an L&D's mouth what it's like to really create a persona for the first time. I'll stop rambling on now. Elvira, hi. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. I think it'd be a great place to start by letting our listeners know who you are, what your experience in L&D is, and all that good stuff. Yes, of course. Happy to introduce myself. Um, So I've been with Expedia Group for a little over nine years, which is um, a very long time for me. Yeah, I'm looking at your face. You're surprised. (laughs) I'm surprised too. They've just been really good to me. It's an amazing company. I love working there. Um, And I started out in sales actually way back when and then moved into an L&D role supporting the sales organization and have been in L&D for I think five or six years now. Um, Where I am today is I'm supporting the manager audience. So for us, that means all first line leaders up to director level um, is the the people that we look after. And it's quite new because we went through a recent reorganization, as many companies do. Uh, And so I've been in this role for a couple of months uh, together with a few other amazing people. Um, And yeah, we thought it was really uh, helpful and exciting to be part of your masterclass to learn a little bit more about marketing for learning uh, as we dive into this new audience that we serve um, in the best possible way that we can. So you say new audience, are they a completely new audience or have they had some kind of experience with learning uh, e.g. in the past? Um, I mean, every leader at Expedia Group has had some support and interaction with the L&D team. So we've had for quite a while uh, a leadership program that's called Elevate, uh, which all new leaders go through and everyone went through as it was launched. Um, which talks a little bit about the leadership culture, um, some of the skills people can build as they step into that role. Um, There's also some practical stuff, um, you know, that's covered in that course. So, um, yeah, the majority of leaders will have had exposure to that. Uh, And then certain teams or organizations, divisions, however companies would like to call them, uh, they also have more functional uh, things, whether that's leadership, Um, as well or for all levels and audiences within that team division or organization so um, yeah they've definitely had exposure Mm. although probably different levels uh, depending on where you would sit so that's really interesting so what did you know about them before you got started before you come along to the masterclass and we started talking all about learner personas 
What information did you have? What understanding did you have about these people before you started creating your personas? So I was kind of lucky in a way, although also unlucky. Before we had the reorg and I became part of this team, I was uh, doing leadership and development for a specific organization within Expedia Group, and I was supporting their leadership support. So I did already have experience with the audience, just not all of Expedia Group, which by the way, we call EG. So if at a certain point in time, I'm going to say EG, (laughs) everybody can know what that means. Um, So now I was not just looking at the manager audience for that team. I was now looking at all managers within EG. So like I said, in a way, it was helpful because I knew a little bit about a part of my audience, but there was also a really big part that I didn't know much about just yet uh, because I hadn't been in touch with them. So um, did I answer your question? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you absolutely did. We were talking about the information you knew about these people. Ah. Well, so let me add to that. I think what we already knew is leaders are very busy oftentimes. I mean, any person in any job is often busy but leaders of course are no exception to the rule um they a lot of them really want to help their team some of them kind of know how to do that some of them know really well how to do that and others might need a little bit of support in in how to best support their team members because they all have different needs uh, and wants in life um and then also yeah like i said earlier they've all had kind of different experiences Mm -hmm. up to now and so the um, the need for them was to really get a more cohesive experience, more streamlined experience um, across the entire organization. And you say entire organization, how many people are we talking about here? What's your audience size? So like I said, our audience size is first level leader up to director, and there's a little below 3000 of them. Wow, that's a big old cohort of people, yeah. really, isn't it? So As you all know all too well, and most people listening to the podcast should know, we only actually advise that people create four learner personas. (laughs) So how on earth did you manage that with such a big group of people? How did you boil those 3,000 people down into four personas? Because I know you managed it. Yeah, great question, because I remember when we were in the course, in the masterclass, uh, me and Roy, my colleague, I thought to myself, oh, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to do that? There's so many different, because I, like I said, I already knew part of the audience, right? So I thought it's mission impossible. Um, but we managed, uh, spoiler alert for those listening, we have four personas just now. Um, so how did we go about doing that? Um, first, I think for me personally, I tried to put my assumptions aside based on mm. the small part of the audience that I knew really, really well, because it's where I came from. It's the sales audience. It's where I'd worked in as an L&D professional for years. So I tried to just forget everything I'd learned. <laughs> That's um, really hard, isn't to- it? It is. Unlearning is really hard. So I'm not saying I succeeded, but I was mindful of it. And I, I was actively working on that. Um, then we uh, looked We looked at some demographics. For those of you who've listened to the other podcasts of, around personas, it's pr- really not the most important uh, part of the persona work, but we just wanted to get an idea of practically who we were looking at. And then also we put that aside rather, rather quickly. And then and just um, quickly, we, why, yeah. did, why did you put that demographic data to the side? What was it that it made you realize that pretty much everyone was falling into the same bucket or there was too many different buckets? What was it? Not everyone was in the same bucket, but it's just really dry. Like it doesn't tell us anything about who those people really are. And when we talk about the personas, we did end up using some of the demographic data, but only after we had more 
valuable insights about what makes them tick, what motivates them, what drives them, what they care about, just because we wanted that to be the starting point, right? And and the demographics were more of an afterthought. So um, yeah, they, they're definitely in there, but in a really different way than I probably would have used them prior to joining Masterclass. <laughs> Perfect plug there. So when you're yeah. saying about... Um, how you found out the motivations and the pain points and that kind of thing. How did you go about actually finding that information out at a, at EJ? It was a really, really interesting process, mainly because I'm a very curious person. And before joining Masterclass, I already had that approach within my profession. So we've done a lot of listening sessions, a lot of empathy interviews, but they were often centered around a business problem that we wanted to solve. Uh, right. So understanding a sales organization wants to improve X, Y or Z result or metric. We would then interview people who would do a really great job at that to understand what they were doing differently um, than others. So we've done something similar, but never to build personas. So uh, what we did is we leveraged some of the kind of interview techniques that we'd used uh, prior to this um, to ask open questions you know, full of curiosity um, to our audience. So we ended up doing seven or eight one-on-one interviews. Um, and we also sent out a survey to which we got a little over a hundred replies, which is really great. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Do you want to know how we did that? Of course I do. Great copywriting. <laughs> I don't think we can take all the credit there. Of course. <laughs> um yeah, we did great copywriting to get people to fill in the survey. We tried to narrow it down, not to have too many questions. There were some multiple choice questions, but there was also a lot of open text. And yeah, we got a lot of replies. So it was great. So you ended up going through over 100 open text survey yeah. responses. Mm-hmm. That's a big task in itself, isn't it? It is, but it's also because we're so curious and we really wanted to use this kind of tool of personas to be better at our jobs. It was also quite rewarding. Um, And I I didn't do it alone. Like I said, I was with Roy, uh, Lauren, uh, our other colleagues, she was also part of this. So um, we did it together and uh, very insightful. Some numbers, of course, with the multiple choice questions and then a lot of text from this open um, open text questions in the survey as well as the interviews that we did. Um, so that's where we started. That was the methodology, surveys and interviews. Wow, that's so impressive. So how did you pick your seven people? You said there's, what, 3,000 people in your audience. Yes. How did you pick just seven of those people? So uh, randomly and not randomly in the sense that we wanted a wide variety and diversity, right, obviously. So we uh, tried to make sure that we had people from different divisions, different tenure, uh, race, gender, Um, lots of different things were considered when picking those people. I think we had a list of about 14 or 20 people between 14 and 20 people. And then I, we probably sent about 10 invites and then seven or eight accepted. Um, so there was also a natural selection, you know, because some people decline, which is fine. Everybody's busy, uh, no hard feelings. Uh, but then the people that we did speak to, uh, was a wide variety of different kinds of people. Yeah. So I know a lot of people listening to this and I've been there myself from a marketing point of view getting seven people talk to you that's really impressive so how did you ask them how did you lure them in 
did you give them an incentive or was it just like hi guys we really want to chat with you it was a little bit of both and like i said we've done this curious approach for a while now so i've done many more interviews prior to these interviews for personas by the way i must have over 200 interviews below my yeah yeah so (laughs) over the past um two years i think so it's a it's a while but still a lot of people that i've spoken to Um, there was definitely the copywriting piece, right? Making it interesting for them to participate. Why Mm. do we want to talk to you? It's because we want to be able to serve you better, to answer to your needs, um, to make sure that you're getting what you want uh, from an L&D department. Of course, we didn't say L&D department, by the way. We used their language. (laughs) Uh, We've learned. It's so important, though. I think it's so often that we'll just use our terminology and our phrases and we lose our audience by doing that. And really what we're talking about here is tapping into the what's in it for me. And I am so bored of hearing myself say the what's in it for me. I'm sure I say it 10 times a day. But But it really is so important. Absolutely. And it's what we all think, you know, subconsciously when reading an email or getting a text or whatever it might be, the what's in it for me, um, especially at work, right? So we definitely spoke about the what's in it for them in the email. It was a short and snappy email, of course, um, just looked pretty and great and whatnot. Um, And then we also had a, a prize, not a prize, I would say, but from working with leaders from that other team that I started out in the sales team I know that many people are interested in learning and they want more support they just don't always know where to get it or how to do that where to start so we awarded a free hour of consultation with um with us as L&D experts to coach them or consult with them on a problem they they want help with Wow, and that lured people in that shows that there's like a huge culture of learning at EG isn't there it's definitely something that's important that people want. Um, you know, like I said earlier, different teams have had different exposure to L&D. Um, if they may have had less formal support, there's a lot of informal stuff going on. People kind of trying to self-serve or help each other, communities, core working teams and whatnot. So it's definitely something that's very much alive within within the culture, um, which is Probably also why so many people responded positively, because also, funnily enough, I know you said just now, how on earth did you get so many people to talk to you? Um, they're actually really thankful and and they feel heard and listened mm-hmm. to, which I always find such a great piece of my job because I love, you know, being curious and learning from other people because everybody's so smart at, at our company. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's really lovely to see that they are actually thankful that someone is listening to them and trying to make, you know, their workspace a better place by asking questions. So that was really not that I didn't expect it, but it was a really pleasant uh, thing to run into uh, the gratitude from people. That really is so lovely. Mm. Like really, really lovely. That makes that's made me really smile. And it's all about give and take, isn't it? You're yeah. giving them a free hour of consultancy. They're giving you their opinion. And I think that's a problem, not just in yeah. L&D, but in a lot of business units. And we talk about it a lot, that we need to stop working in silos. We need to partner with the wider business so that when you need people, they'll be there for you. And it's yeah, not just absolutely. you talk to them when you need them. So let's jump back a couple of steps because in all the time I've been creating learner personas, no two have been the same. So I can't pick up learner personas from one company and plug it into another. That's just not how it works. So I was wondering what you included in your personas that made them really bespoke to Expedia Group as a company. 
Um, yeah, so a couple of things that we did to hopefully make them represent the people that we serve, right? Um, we included pronouns because at EG, everybody can bring their whole self to work and we want to make that easy for everyone by, you know, demonstrating that and extending that trust. Um, so we included pronouns. Um, we also included quotes from people that we spoke to that were um, kind of triggering an emotion, right? So I remember this one interview where someone said, I, I, as a leader, I want to be who I needed when I grew up in my career. Aww. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing to say. And it really um, demonstrates the sentiment of mm -hmm. that entire persona is that those people, they really want to take care of people um, because maybe they either didn't have it when they needed a leader like that um, a couple of years ago, or they had it and they saw the benefits from it and they want to Reciprocate, you know the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> Reciprocate. <laughs> Thank you. Um, anyway, the word we just said, um, that's really what drove those type of people. Um, so trying to include something, yeah, like I said, that evokes emotion, right? That makes you feel something connected to that person or understand kind of who they are at their core. And of course, it's only a layer, right? We're complex human beings. We cannot capture everything uh, but we really try to understand some of those layers that made them who they were um, and then we also included more I don't know practical things uh, or factual things you know like this person um, really wants to grow to an executive level uh, within hopefully EG but maybe even another company so they really have that um, ambition, whereas other people might really want to thrive in their own domain more so rather than going up level after level after level. Um, so more those types of things. Um, and then also their personal life, right? Uh, we had someone who said, um, I want to be an example for my daughter and other young girls around Aww. me. I know. It's beautiful, isn't the it? best people that work yeah, at EJ. We have the best people at EG. <laughs> um, so those those things, right, that really tell you something ab about that person um, is, is what we try to include in them. Absolutely. And I think that also that's also where putting demographic data back in can sometimes help because you want your persona to almost paint a picture in your mind of the person you're thinking of. So you don't want it to be a person from your actual company. We've had people ask for that and that's just a dangerous game. <laughs> but... You want it to paint a picture, what you expect them to look like, their age, the amount of people they manage. That's always a big one in learner personas because managers can be a enabler or a blocker mm. to learning. So we need to really make sure we're utilising them to their full potential yeah. as well. So as much as you don't want to do your whole learner persona based on demographic data, including some of it to paint a picture is genuinely really useful. But I always go back to the example that I think Asha shared on LinkedIn a few times about compar comparing Ozzy Osbourne to who is now King Charles. Um, yeah. Their personas are identical demographically, um, but they're so different people, aren't they? That's a great example, I think, to show the importance of other data or characteristics. Yeah. Absolutely. And... Okay, they're both 70-year-old men, so I'm sure that will come in useful for some organisation somewhere. But it doesn't actually tell us anything about their emotional drivers, their pain points, what they want, what they need, and that kind of stuff. And that's what we really need to get into with our learner personas. That's the level we need to be at. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, we we did include tenure for some people because we did notice a little bit of a difference between newer people and more seasoned people. Um, yeah, in terms of what they needed more from the company in terms of support. Um, so that was quite clear when we did the interviews and the survey analysis. Um, and team size wasn't a really big thing. Um, slight, slight difference, uh, but really not a big thing. So I'd say, t- yeah, tenure was was a thing that we included. Um, but other than that, not a lot of demographics. Ah, and the other thing, big office or remote or smaller office, because at EG, we have a few really big hubs across the world, like Seattle, London, Geneva, uh, Singapore is quite big as well, but then there's also a lot smaller offices like the one uh, we have here in, in Brussels, in Belgium, for example. Um, but there's also some people who don't even have an office at all. There's a mm. lot of remote folks um, everywhere globally. And so we did notice a difference between um, those people. So we included that in the personas as well. And that's a really interesting point to bring up because it's such a big thing for pretty much all organizations right now, isn't it? Yeah. Um but it touches on something that's really, really important that we do need to emphasize and people do struggle to get their head around. Just because somebody is one persona today doesn't mean that they're going to be that persona forever. Yeah. So the challenges that somebody might be facing right now, so what they need and what they want to solve those challenges, particularly from learning, might be completely different in a year's time. So when they're at home and they're remote, maybe they're feeling a bit isolated, they might have different needs yeah. to those people that are in the office. When they then move back to an office, if they ever do, their needs and wants might change. So we always say that you should probably update your personas probably a year, every two years maybe, or at least look at them and check and say, yeah, I'm still happy with these uh, personas. They're still reflective of people in our organisation. But it's really important to realise that some demographical data, such as like you just said, the geography, especially in a company like yours, has a big difference to people yeah and there's a lot of complexity to that right because a big office is different from a small office home base is different from being in office but then we also have a lot of people living in different countries than where they were born right because we're in the travel industry so pretty much everyone that works at eg loves travel um so many people have moved around and so that's another layer of complexity right because they might not understand the native language that's being spoken in their office right so maybe they're in an office but they still feel a little bit isolated at times because they can't understand the majority of the people that are working there. So um, it's very complex, but at the same time, it's very rich, right? Um, It's what I love about this company as well, is that we have so many different cultures um, and that has created its own culture. Absolutely. And it's like you said, there's a real strong culture there. Like you've been there for nine years. People don't (laughs) hang around at bad companies that long, do they? No. Um, So... I know you said you had 100 survey responses and a lot of them were open text. So what was your process of going through and prioritizing what should be in your persona and what wasn't necessary? Because that's a big old task. So how did you go about ranking it? How did you group them together? How did those survey responses end up being your personas? Yeah, that's uh, that was a process for sure as well, because you have all this data and then you're like, okay, so now what do we do with this? Um, so we, uh, we had a chat about it first, just to kind of verbalize what we'd heard, what we read, uh, just to process it out loud as a group. And then uh, we used a mirror board, no ad, I'm just a fan, <laughs> um, mirror board to kind of group things together in terms of, I think we did 
needs, wants, motivators, and pain points. I think we did those four groups. Um, and then we tried to write down the themes that came up quite often. And so the first thing we did, and I remember you and Ashley saying this in the, in the masterclass, is you can never capture everyone, right, with your four personas. And that's okay. You're, you're going to want to speak to the majority. So whenever something would have come up once or twice, we would often just, you know, let that be. Uh, and we would focus on the big trends and themes that we heard multiple times. Um, so we filled out that mirror board to find those themes. And then we use that with your template, the one you have in Canva. Again, <laughs> not a sponsor, just a fan. Um, gosh, I should be paid for this. Um, yep, absolutely. So should we. We get so many people yeah. on Canva. <laughs> Yes, you've gotten us there. So there you go. Um, we use the template that you had created from the course um, to really build that out. And that's when we started kind of plotting the post-its from Miro into Canva saying, you know, this fits, this connects to that one. Kind of, yeah, connecting the dots really between all the different post-its that we had. Absolutely. And I think you just touched on a really important point there that you don't have to use everything you get from your research in your personas. So not everyone's going to fit perfectly into a persona. So let's say, for example, you've got someone that's like really, really nonstop talking about the fact they've got no time. Time's always an easy one to use as an example, isn't it? Mm. So if this person's like, I need more hours in the day, I need my boss to give me more time. I need to make more time. I need less things on my to-do list because I have no time. But nobody else mentioned time being a constraint. Then maybe that person's just dealing with an issue of some sort and needs some personal help. That doesn't mean it needs to go into your persona. Especially when you've got, what, over 100 people giving you their yeah. opinion. There's going to be quite a variety. So you have to find the commonalities and the common themes coming out of them, don't you? Yes. Well, you mentioned being busy coming up. It came up a lot. So actually, one one of our personas is called Busy Ben because, of course, alliteration. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. um, but also, we through the interviews and the surveys, we also found out that often there's different things behind the busyness, right? Not to say that people aren't busy. It just often means that there's different root causes behind that. So we try to capture that as well in the persona. So lots of different themes, right? I think busyness came up quite often. The desire to want to learn, the servant leadership came up quite a bit as well. Uh, People really wanting to help their team members thrive, be successful. Um, Well, we're a big company. So anyone listening who's in a big company as well or who has been in the past will probably know that big companies are also often quite complex um, and it's not always easy to understand especially as an external new hire um, how the company works where to find things that sort of stuff so simplicity is definitely something that uh, people need um, so those were a couple of things that that came up I would say um, just a snapshot of the four personas that's really interesting and when you were doing this so you had your Miro board and you were deciding okay these are the pain points these are the motivators how did you piece them together to create one persona because from a practical point of view I think a lot of people will be thinking exactly what you and your team was and thinking all right I've got all of this data now what do I do well, it was quite a manual process, um, so I'm not sure if people are going to like this answer. <laughs> um, but what I did is I oftentimes would go back to the interview notes that I took where I could see all answers from one person um, and also some of the survey responses to see, okay, if this came up, what 
what else came up from that same person that helps us identify one persona. Um, so that's what we did. So like I said, manual, quite a lot of time went into that, but I think it's valuable. I did also use some of my assumptions at that stage, which I know you, you and Ash said we, we were allowed to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> because you kind of have to sometimes as well. So based on the, the part of the leadership audience that I had been quite familiar with, I also used some of my assumptions and biases to fill in some of those gaps and say, well, that, that probably goes with that, um, based on my experience with them. Absolutely. And you're spot on there. We always say you should have qualitative and quantitative data. Um, well done me for actually getting those words out. Um, don't know if I said them I right. Know. Another one. Tongue <laughs> <laughs> <Fun> twister. <laughs> but you do have to back up this data with some assumptions. You're never going to have a full picture, especially when it's your first learner persona. So filling in the blanks with assumptions is absolutely fine. As long as you're sense checking them every year or two years, like I already said, uh, it's making sure that you're assumptions are valid uh, once you do get more and more data yeah and flexibility right like you said th these are not written in stone we have created the first draft after doing that Miro exercise we've validated the personas then with a couple of key stakeholders within our organization to get their feedback and perspective which was so valuable as well um and yesterday we kind of sent out the final version for now right that's what it's v v22 um so it's 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 not even our first iteration of this kind of research cycle that we did over the past few weeks but it's also not going to be this is it and we're never changing that ever again um and again big company so as many other companies lots and lots of changes keep happening um within the organization so we have to be flexible so you just said that you sent out your draft personas to some stakeholders. What kind of feedback did you get? And I'm sure you didn't. But did you get any pushback? Did you get any changes? What does people think? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say pushback, but more um, nuances or additions to the personas that we hadn't thought of that were just making them more rich, I would say. Um, you know, it's always hard because you don't want too many chefs in the kitchen, but at the same time, two brains, no more than one. Um, and, and because we have been through a reorg, we have people with, you know, who've been here for years, we have some newer people and that combination is just really great to have all these different perspectives. So, and it's our first time building personas as well. So I, yeah, I wouldn't say pushback. I would more say collaborative approach where there was just more insights added to what we had uncovered so it was really and also I feel like after getting the feedback from the stakeholders they're a little bit more what's the word not refined but more cohesive even yeah okay that's interesting so they paint yeah. a clearer picture in your mind so they should be easier yeah. to use when you're using you know when them you're, when you're doing it you're so in it that it can be hard to step back out and be like okay well, what's now the end result yeah. that's going to be good for now it was really hard to step back out of it so <laughs> to get the external feedback was a really helpful piece of the process for us at least it might not be for everyone right but for us it was very helpful oh absolutely and i'd recommend everyone doing that regardless of what piece of marketing they're creating everything we do at maths i'd say probably mm. other than our linkedin post because that would be a bit too far is read checked looked at by both ashley and i so all of our client work, everything we put out for our marketing, a fresh set of eyes always, always helps. Um, Ash did a whole podcast on the shitty first draft, uh, something we swear by, by collaborating and coming together because fresh mm. perspectives really do help. So it was, what, a month-ish ago that you 
kind of yeah. finalized your personas so what i'm curious about is if your approaches to marketing and what you're doing has changed in that period of time now you feel you understand your target audience a bit better yeah massively i think um you know, as I said earlier, we've always taken, not always, for a couple of years, we've taken the curious approach to try and put the learner at the center, which I think was a massive step forward, um, but not in this sense, not by creating personas and, and keeping them front and center when sending out an email or creating a learning solution or, you know, thinking about what the audience might need as well. Um, so as I said earlier, the copywriting is definitely something that we are uh, getting much better at and where the personas are so helpful to keep thinking about the what's in it for me, um, the benefits, you know, what makes them take their drivers, their needs, all of that. So that's, uh, a huge change. There's a lot more creativity there now I feel, which I love, um, versus what we did in the past. Um, then also we're going to be presenting these to our design team. So we have a learning design team. They create solutions, uh, for, for, problems uh, and we collaborate quite closely with them because we do a lot of the listening and understanding the needs of our audience um, so of course we're going to present these to them so they can keep these people personas in mind um, as they work on solutions um, so that's definitely something that we haven't mm. done before yeah um, I think um, actually you touched on a really valuable point there and we say it quite a lot to our clients that although personas are being created for the learning team or the L&D team, people learning growth, whatever you want to call yourselves, yeah. it doesn't mean that they're only for us. So they can actually be used in other areas of the business to really understand who your employees are and they can be a real strategic tool. So using a marketing example, salespeople might use buyer personas to understand who they're prospecting. And in learning, I'm, I'm no learning designer, but I'm sure understanding your target audience better would mean you create a better learning intervention surely so well done you for actually using those elsewhere in your organization already yeah and then the last thing that we're doing right now as we speak is we are as i said we've been through a reorg so we're building our strategy now for the remainder of this year and next year as well and we are looking at moments that matter for our leaders so moments that happen where a leader might say oh this is this is tricky i'd love some support to know how to navigate this or to find new ways of doing this so i can better serve my team and so the moments that matter are also based on the research that we've done for the personas to better understand what people need and when they might want certain types of support from us I love that. Mm. Um, funnily enough, my next question was going to be, um, how are you applying marketing tactics other than personas um, in your learning function? But I think you just answered that. I think so. <laughs> but other than the things we've already discussed, how are you using marketing in your learning function? Especially as you've got what sounds like quite an exciting year or so ahead with the reorg and everything. Yeah, because it's, you know, with a reorg, there's always opportunity as well, right? You can do things differently. There's kind of permission to try new things. Uh, not that we normally don't have that, but I feel like with a reorganization, it's just a little easier to do that. Um, you know, create new habits, build new ways of doing things, new relationships, new collaborations as well within the company. Um, so the the way we speak to our learners, employees, because they're employees, um, is, is really different now. Uh, we're also less afraid, I think, to have a voice um, because we now know 
what value that brings and what impact it can have. Um, and, and then also, yeah, this, the full strategy, right? Building that based on the understanding that we have of our people. It's not like we've never done that. This is just more, more targeted at the people. Um, it's kind of from them to them, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. I love yeah. that. I love that so much. Like genuinely love it. So user focus, so target audience focus. It's fantastic. So if there's anyone listening to this that is perhaps differing on whether they should be looking at marketing for their learning function or not, what's the one piece of advice you would give them? I mean, just one piece. That's hard because I have so much to say. (laughs) All right. You can have a bit more if you really want some more. But what would you say? You know, I think... That's okay, right? Uh, we all evolve at our own pace. Um, but now that you know we've gone through this evolution, we've obviously been to the masterclass. We've learned so much. Yeah, like I said, it's kind of like why? Why didn't we do this sooner? We want to help people. So how can we help them if we don't know them? It's it's got to be the first step. Absolutely, and I love what you just said there about the industry. You don't get into learning if you like hate other people Um, we're all here to help each other we're all here to help the end target user audience to learn to grow to change to develop so absolutely with marketing you're serving that purpose a lot better surely and I think of course it's a mindset shift people evolve as you said at their own pace and at their own rate and that's absolutely fine but I agree with you and it's part of the reason Mass was born. Why weren't L&D already doing this? And there's so much more to marketing than just the advertising piece that people think marketing is. And you'll know you're on the masterclass yourself. Three of the six sessions were tactical. But that also means that three of them wasn't. They were strategic. They were thinking bigger picture. They were putting our target audience at the heart of everything we were doing. And I think that's something that L&D really need to get to grips with to understand why marketing for learning is so important. Um, But I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. It's got to be the first step, understanding your target audience. Um, And why weren't people doing this sooner? Yeah. And there's also a massive part about L&D saying we've got an engagement problem. Is it really an engagement problem or is it an awareness problem that marketing can really help fix? Yeah, because how else can people, you know learn and find your content if it's content that you're putting out there and use your solutions if they don't even know it's there nobody's going to engage with it right um and the best example that you had shared in the in the master class is coca-cola is still doing advertising but everybody knows it so if they're doing it and they're like the best known soda company in the world you know why is no one else doing it and that really resonated with me because it's not a bad thing that you're having to do marketing it's just essential to get people to engage especially right now people are busy we have lots of distractions lots of other things to be doing numbers to hit targets to achieve um you know all of that some of us have kids to raise or family to look after dogs to walk books to read you know the list goes on and on and on so we have to make sure people know what's out there and why it's helpful for them yeah, absolutely. And the, the world's a little bit crazy right now. And I think we all need to be kinder to one another. And 
if we can help somebody get to where they need to be quicker by just explaining the what's in it for me and really getting into their pain points and explaining to them why they should be learning, why wouldn't we? Yeah, and for me personally, the reason why I think this is so valuable is because within any organization, leaders have such a huge impact, right? And so that's why I'm so passionate about the audience that I serve. I've been a people leader myself as well. You know, previous to this role, you have such a big impact on people's lives. So we have to take it seriously. So if we as a learning organization can help those people leaders, there's such a huge trickle down effect as well to all of their team members. Um, that just means you're you're doing a lot of work um, and, and that needs to be seen and heard, hence marketing for learning. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like we've just told everybody that marketing for learning can change lives. So I think we should end <laughs> on that note. I think so too. Yeah, that's the message. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today, Elvira. The last 40 minutes or so have absolutely flown by and I could talk to you about marketing for learning all day. The stuff you guys are doing at EG is absolutely phenomenal and thank you for giving us your time but I'd also love to have you back on the podcast in a year or so just to see how your L&D function has really changed based on having these learner personas. Thanks so much for having me. I'd be happy and honoured to come back Uh, and for anyone out there who's still doubting if this might be useful, feel free to reach out. Um, this has been a great learning experience for me and I'm really happy that we were part of the very first masterclass. <laughs> we loved having you guys on the first cohort. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure to get to know you all. And if anybody does want to reach out to you, I'm assuming they can do so via LinkedIn. Yeah. Perfect. So if anyone wants to reach out to Elvira and talk about anything to do with marketing for learning or L&D, you can find her on LinkedIn. And as you know, I'm also on LinkedIn. So is Ashley. So if you want to talk to any of us about marketing for learning or learner personas, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thank you again, Elvira. It's been a wonderful podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. And for everybody listening, we'll see you on the next one, guys.